2019's coming to an end. We've covered lots of topics from then. So we're doing a review. I hope you review us too. We're talking about what we did now and then and then. Welcome to Tools Day, a podcast about tech tools, tips, and tricks every other Tuesday at 2. I'm your co-host, Yuna. And I am Chris. And today we're talking about the year. Our year in review. Year in review. Yeah. Is that what we called it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about uh, basically some of the topics that we've covered on the show. We're talking about how the tech environment has changed over the course of a year, how our own opinions have changed over the course of this past year. We're going to talk about things that we're looking forward to in 2020 and sort of some predictions that we see in 2020. And before we even start recording, Chris said something very controversial. So I'm excited to sort of dive into that. <laughs> one of his topics is a really fun, controversial one. Because I'm going to be like, oh, I told you so. Just kidding. It's not a told you so it's like a shared opinion that has changed anyway yes. do you want to start with that oh wait i want to sponsor. get into our first sponsor before we get into that and our first sponsor today is datadog datadog is a centralized monitoring platform for cloud scale environments allowing you to correlate and analyze your metrics alongside relevant traces and logs with just one click there are over 350 turnkey integrations, and they have a super cool container map feature, which provides a bird's eye view of your container fleet. The live view feature allows you to search, group, and filter your containers with any criteria like tags, pods, or workspaces. Datadog enables all teams within an organization to track, manage, and monitor their SLOs in a comprehensive list view and easily visualize the statuses on individual dashboards. And they're offering listeners a free trial, and as an added bonus for signing up and creating a dashboard, they'll send you a free t-shirt, which has a dog on it, so it's pretty cool. Start your free trial today at datadog.com slash toolsday. That's D-A-T-A-D-O-G dot com slash toolsday, and they'll send you a free t-shirt. Again, that's datadog.com slash Slash tools day free t-shirt with your free dashboard awesome okay so so controversial statement number one <laughs> okay all right it's not okay it's, it's kind of, so uh all of last year and throughout most of this year i have been talking about css and javascript and my more or less positive opinion about it, how you know this is the way it's going it's so convenient it's so easy um so i've spent now two years with it basically and i am retracting most of those statements not Chris retracting. is it's, over it he's like uh, I don't I, I'm not into it anymore <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not into it anymore so like you know we used a spectrum of different uh, of the libraries so we used and we've talked um, about a lot of different yes, we, JS in CSS CSS and yeah. JS libraries on the show yeah. so check those out yeah and so you know the one we use the most is style components um, it's the most popular one by far I believe um, and maybe not I use far, CSS modules, which I thought was a much better user experience than style components. Yeah, well, so style components says, hey, friends, you know, think about your, size, your styles as components, right? So instead of saying class name button, you say component button, and it wraps your React component in that, you know, in that button style. And it's a really easy way to, of authoring, right? So you kind of get into this mindset, oh, yeah, I'm going to write these components, like I'm writing my, all the rest of my components, and then I'm going to um, share them around, and it's going to be great. You, you like write your styles when you write your components instead of thinking about your application sort of more holistically as like the prior, I would say, CSS page model would yeah, allow. And, 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 
it's kind of telling you the whole concept that, hey, you know, we're developing our apps in these bite-sized pieces now. We want things to be scoped to the component, not global. It's better, you know, it's better in the long run, all this stuff. And all those things are still true. But what I've found over time is that while I like the benefits of modular scoping, um, having my, you know, there was this promise that, oh yeah, you know, you would keep your styles and your JavaScript in the same file because it's so convenient. And that's just not true um, from any large code base. I've been saying yeah. that since day um, one. I, I, I love the benefits of yeah. uh, CSS and JS, like the performance benefits that you only need to include no. the code that you have on the page and like all of that. There's tons of benefits. So here's the thing. You no, know, the reason why we actually stopped using it is because stock components is, is not performant. Um, really? In large scales. It's not performant at all. Um, why is that? You know, because I thought the whole point was that you would tree shake your components for only what the user sees at the it, same. So it is performant in terms of bundle size, but in rendering time, like the ah. actual time it takes to actually render a component, it's much larger. And um, this is a known fact. Like, oh yeah, there's a runtime cost to having CSS and JavaScript. If you have a lot of the same components, then you're going to see that. Yeah, and so it really it happens if you have a lot of components and you're heavily using you know a lot of different reaction antigens. So you wouldn't see this in smaller code bases, um, and but in ours we had a really hard hit with style components. In fact, our first design system was built with style components, and we scrapped it all because it just wasn't performant for us um, at the scale we were doing. And I was like, oh well, I guess we have to you know not use any of this. And they've done a lot of improvements over time. Um, and it's not to say that, that, that there aren't more performant libraries. Emotion is notoriously known as a better, more performant library. There's one How called does Anaria, CSS modules work with all of that? But because yeah, I, so I feel like that allows for you to still have that separation of your yeah. styling and logic. And that's kind of where I've come to now. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just use CSS modules and post CSS, <laughs> and I'll be happy with life uh, as it was. Last year. Um, you can't see this, but I'm doing a little happy dance because I feel like we have talked about this for so long. And I was always like a big CSS modules fan girl. And Chris was like I was, a styled I was, I component. I like CSS modules too, but I was like, you know, why not? Why not this nice component mindset? But, you know, it just, it just you know, um, on top of the performance issues we had, like it actually was harder for me to look at my code after six months that had style components in it. Because uh, I wouldn't know immediately, is this a actual React component or is this just styles? Mm. And it was actually better for me mentally to have class name, to just have that separated out um, from like logic and, and, and um, the styles. So yeah. that's my my two years later review is, let's just use CSS, guys. Listen, and, uh, call me old school, <laughs> but I also feel like class names work really well. And when I want to have inline styles, you can still have inline styles and there's just Better ways oh. to do it. <laughs> no, I, I will say, you know, my favorite part of all of Style Components and Emotion is that they all ship with this Babel plugin. Oh, Emotion does, and Style Components just started doing it too, where you can transpile uh, a CSS flag on your inline style, and on your component, and it will turn into a class or a Style Component. So if I type in CSS on a div, you know, you could do inline styles, but it actually transforms in the, into an actual class name. Um, that part is cool because when I'm just kind of revving on a small thing. Yeah, but I quickly, feel like you're making it harder for yourself in that case because why not just write it as a class to start with? Uh, so, you know, this is actually comes back. So this is because, you know, sometimes I have like 
literally two lines of CSS. I want something. I'm just doing something um, like display. Okay, but flex, then in that case, right? if Utility, it's like two it's, lines of CSS, it's not that messy to see it within your code base. Well, so I I like seeing it in my code base. Um, I would prefer not to use a style um, property on a class on a, on a div because it has the high specificity, right? I would prefer it to be in a class name, and I prefer it my compiler do it for me. And that's what the Babel plugin does for style components and emotion is it turns that inline style object into an actual class. And so you get all the benefits of having it right in your class, your div, and you can see it immediately, but also the benefits that it's not that high specificity. So if you need to override it, it's fine. It just it, sounds it, like a, an invented problem. You're creating a solution for an invented problem. It's not problem. an invented problem. It's, it's, what, it's, re, it's the reason why like Tailwind is so useful is because you have all these utility classes mm -hmm. that do like a very specific thing. So if I'm just going through, like, oh, I want you know, display flex padding 16 pixels or whatever. In tail, Tailwind, you just type in, you know, flex, padding, six, padding, whatever, medium, right? Yeah. So it's it's a really an, an argument for, for having utility classes in your code base. But if you don't have utility class in your code base, having these quick one-off things is convenient. Utility classes, I think, are actually getting more and more popular, too, in the tech world. Yes. And, like, speaking yeah. of Tailwind, we actually had a show about Tailwind this year. Yes. And I feel like... I'm kind of coming around on Tailwind. <laughs> same, so, same. Yeah. Um, I was a little skeptical at first because it seemed like you had like this very predefined set of utility classes, but throughout the year, I've come to realize that it's actually really customizable and you could change all of the styling for any of those utilities and really make it your own. So I think yeah. that's pretty cool, like it, the customization aspect of it and how it intermixes JavaScript with your CSS and uses it to create sort of like this idea of almost tokenization, like design tokens yeah. no, in uh, a specific library. I completely agree with you. When I when we first had our show, and even we had a show prior to that, we, were t we mentioned Tailwind. I was super blah. We kind of know, talked and, it down. And then we had, was it Adam Watham on the show? Yeah, Adam he, Watham. Yeah, he he uh, brought a, it to light for us. But then even yeah. after that, it kind of has come back in my life yeah. on Twitter. And it just seemed... Like no, the light bulb moment, of, you know. It's one of those things where if I see like a a site with really nice, you know, vertical rhythm and nice borders and nice elevation, I'm like 80% sure it's a Tailwind site uh, because it, Tailwind sites just look really, really nice. And yeah. so like, um, and I come around, you know, I really, I have come around to utility classes, you know, uh, initially I was like, oh, this is kind of ugly in my markup, uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, no, it's. That's my other 2019 like revelations that you know, hey, utility classes are great. So is Tailwind. So I feel like with 2019 this year specifically, I feel like CSS has grown even faster than JavaScript has. Like JavaScript, I think the React hooks was like a massive change that's a, that's for everyone. Topic. That was like the biggest change. That was the one yeah. thing that I feel like really revolutionized how people write code in JavaScript this year. Yeah. Um, but I feel like with CSS, mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of things happen at one time, like subgrid just dropped. Um, for, for Firefox only though. Yes, but that means yeah. that other browsers aren't far behind, you know? Hopefully. And, and like everyone's using grid now. Houdini is growing really, yeah. like that is just giving a ton of capabilities for CSS styling. Logical properties allow for us to have really dynamic layouts now that translate across directions and writing modes. And so I feel like a lot has changed in CSS and variable fonts, like in typography world, like the variable yeah. font beta API for uh, for Google fonts came out this year. Yep. And so like to me, I feel like a lot 
more a variety of things changing in the CSS world that touch a lot of different subjects. But yeah. I mean, in the JavaScript world, React hooks is big. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You know, I, I kind of slipped my mind, you know, how like prevalent like grid is now. Grid is everywhere. Mm -hmm. right? I feel like, two, like I, I remember having a conversation with some people like two years ago and like, uh, yeah, it's gonna be such a long time before we can use grid. But now like I use grid for everything. It dropped so quickly too. Yeah. Like I think within a span of four to five months from the first browser that had it all of the Evergreen browsers oh, had it. And yeah. also, I will say, really big deal, um, Edgium, Edge's Edgium? new is version. Call, is that what we call it? Edgium? I've seen people um, on the internet call it that. Okay, all right. Um, it's Microsoft Edge's new version, which is based on uh, Chromium. Chromium. And that's going to really change a lot for CSS because I feel like with Styling specifically, the browser differences were so dramatic. I feel yeah. like teams tended to be larger for JavaScript in browsers yeah. than they do for CSS and styling. So as somebody who cares about CSS and the web, like just having that change occur means yeah. that we can do things like blend modes and a ton of really awesome things and actually use them in our UIs in very meaningful ways. So yeah. I'm stoked for that. That's happening early 2020. <laughs> hey. Uh, I am excited for uh, uh, so there's one thing beyond Cyber that I'm so excited for that I hope comes next year. Maybe I'll just wait till the end of the show for this. I'll pause on that. Um, <laughs> okay, that was a teaser uh, if I've ever seen one. Yeah, let's talk about hooks. Okay, so um, my entire year has been like knee deep in React hooks, and it's been fantastic. I have it's one of those things where it has made writing React components so much more enjoyable to me especially from a library side um where i most of my years been writing various libraries um and um shipping a react hook is just so much more mentally con uh, mentally easier or easier on your mind to comprehend and use than the old uh react uh patterns of you know other higher order components or render props and so if you have not yet moved to React Hooks and don't understand the hype, just like start killing your HOCs and move to React Hooks and you'll understand it very quickly. Everyone is doing it too. Every library <laughs> is like trying to like transition into how they can leverage the React Hook. And it's it's like a big deal, y'all, if you haven't it's used it yet. I I really like, um, we when we talked about Hooks, we had this graphic from, I don't know if it was a presentation or someone's Twitter, where they showed the amount of code that changed and how it correlated to each other when you switch from higher order components to React hooks. And it just really changes the mental model and makes it a lot easier for you to really read what you're writing yeah. um, in a React component. Yeah. Uh, I remember when, when we had Rich on for Svelte, he mentioned that React hooks was the, was one of the mod, uh, one of the motivators for him on V3 as Svelte because it just changed the developer experience so much that he felt compelled to make felt a better experience because it was yeah. just that much better. Um, I will say the one downside of React Hooks is that it there's this part of React Hooks called use effect. And so you're supposed to put any side effect into this little blob of code. And one thing it did was that it made reacting to changes. Like, so I say I have you know, I press delete on a, a row of items and I want to send a net request that says, okay, uh, I deleted this specific row of items. It made that 
actual flow a little bit harder um, because use effect is not tied to any specific action. It was tied to just, you just plop it into your function and it's supposed to wait for changes. And so then you would have to track state changes in a reference, something like that. And that was actually pretty difficult to do. Um, luckily, there are a couple great libraries that kind of handle this for you. So um, these two things have made my life so much easier uh, with hooks and use effect. The first one is one I use all the time. It's called Use Reducer with Side Effects. It was written by a former coworker of mine who now works at Stitch Fix. Um, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But it's honestly, if you're, if you're running React Hooks and you want to use effects, you should probably be using this library. Uh, it makes that much of a difference in the code I write. Um, it basically lets you collocate side effects with actions. Um, he wrote a blog post on it. It's not, it, he is, he is uh, he's got an interesting mind, um, <laughs> but the blog post is not the most clear, but uh, the code samples are, are amazing. So I'll link those. Um, and then the other one of course is XState, which yeah, I've talked about so much uh forever and we'll keep on talking about i just convinced three teams at netflix to start using x state uh and that's I been your 2019 very, thing x state I, I feel very proud of that so um yeah so try using one of those two libraries if you're using effects um but my goodness hooks so good do you have any other things about like the past year that we've talked about that you want to highlight before we go into the future uh, one last thing. Um, this is a pattern that it was. It's not a 2019 pattern. It's a 2018 pattern. But um, I think it came to more. Old news. <laughs> it's old news. Uh, end of 2018. So no, 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 it's good. It's fine. There was a component that a lot of us use in React World called downshift, um, and it got a name at the end of 2018 called headless UI components. And it's just basically a pattern that says, "I will ship you a library that does the UI functionality." But has no UI to it. Um, so you were, you like provide the what? UI. So like, like so for downshift is a dropdown component. Uh, mm -hmm. Except all it does is it provides you methods to say open dropdown, close one, um, select something, unselect something, changes, and then when you apply its props, so it provides you like get item props, get menu props, mm -hmm. and you spread these on your UI components, and then it will mark them up with an you know, accessible markup. So it gives you the ARIA labels the um, the proper focus states, the proper active states, gives you all the functionality of a dropdown, but you provide all the UI. So you can build these like really custom select boxes, but they're still accessible. They have keyboard functionality, they have escape functionality, they all work wonderfully. Um, and they are styled the way you want, you know, your designer wants that them to be styled. That sounds so good and so interesting. Uh, did we talk uh, about that this year? I feel like I haven't really heard about that. I, I've mentioned it every now and then. Um, it's one of those things I think it should be more popular. I don't know if I'm just in a bubble yeah. or not. Um, I am in a bubble, so that's... We're it's, all in bubbles. <laughs> we're in bubbles. I'm in a React bubble, so I don't know. I'm in a Houdini bubble. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so there's like a couple of these that came out, and Downshift's the most popular one. It's made by Kent Dodds. Um, another one is called Dazed. And it does the same thing, but for date pickers, if you want to build an accessible That's date picker, awesome. uh, which date pickers are notoriously hard to build. And so this is, makes it pretty easy. Um, and then the latest one that came out is called React Table. Um, the version 7 is a, is a headless UI component, and it gives you the way to make like virtualized tables that have resizable columns and drag and drop stuff. And you can just do this through um, you know, your own logic, with your own, with your own components. 
and it's pretty straightforward to do. So this is actually I, a really good transition into <laughs> like future stuff too, because I feel like this is so important, but the yes. fact that people have to hack around and provide these primitives for things like drop downs, because every designer ever designs a drop down that doesn't look like the default drop down, yet we can't yes. style one in CSS still. That's yeah. like the state of the world still. Yeah. And it's not the state of the future, I hope. Yeah. In my mind. Um, but before we get too far into that, I do want to say thank you to our next sponsor, who is Square. Square is an awesome team. They have APIs and SDKs to make payments easy so you can build your own e-commerce site, integrate Square to deal with the payments portion, and sell whatever your heart desires, which I think is perfect for this time of year because the holidays are among us. And I definitely bought some really cute custom dog pieces <laughs> for my family this year. <laughs> I bought some disco pillows that were like oh sewn, so like hand sewn, like with uh, like curly fur fabric. It's not real fur. It's just like cotton. Anyway, they're cute. Yeah. <laughs> you can use Square to quickly embed a checkout experience or use its APIs to take you beyond payments to manage your orders, catalog, inventory, or even employees when you hit it big. Square supports iOS, Android, Flutter, and React Native for in-app mobile payments or to integrate with square readers in person from your own application and they have a new youtube channel with shows for developers so check out their developer tutorials and other videos at youtube.com slash square dev that's youtube.com slash square dev s-q-u-a-r-e-d-e-v which is awesome we love developer content so awesome. <laughs> sort of like we were just kind of speaking about these drop down forms and other form elements that you know, downshift and other React vibrates provide primitives too that you can then apply your own UIs to. Um, I don't know if you've been following, but like at Chrome Dev Summit, Nicole Sullivan and Greg Whitworth had a talk about how they're From trying to revamp Edgium. this. <laughs> yes, Edgium. Edgium's a real thing. <laughs> um, how they're trying to revamp that, bring new life to form elements and actually make them stylable. Some kind of like styling APIs and primitives. We need those so bad. I cannot yeah. believe we still live in a world where that is not an option for developers and designers. If I could style an option, a select, a select box natively, that would just like save, that would have saved so much time so in much my time. career. Like if my course oh my last my gosh, 10 real. years of being a developer, if I had custom styled drop downs. Oh my Can God. You imagine, imagine how much of an accessibility issue it is that people yeah. are constantly rebuilding selects because they're just so much harder to style than any other form elements and forms are such a big part of the web. Yeah. <sighs> Especially cause I like mean, the web is all about e-commerce and capitalism now. <laughs> and I, I build, you know, I build tools for movie studios more or less. Uh, and most of our apps are some form of a form and you know, um tied to a table everyone's got to recreate the form <laughs> um and you know yeah just make forms better please yeah um yeah That's the other one. native element that may be coming to the web next year or the year after is um also on chrome platform it's the virtual scroller um and it's something that native has right now so if you build a native uh, mobile application you never really have to think about virtualizing items in a list. So if you have a thousand items in a list, the native platform provides you an element called like flat list or something like that so that you don't have to think about rendering these things in special ways. On the web, uh, that doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. You have to virtualize your tables. You have to use things like React Window, React Table, or um, Ember Data, or whatever, whatever um, platform thing you're using, you have to do it yourself. Now, the downsides of doing these things 
is that you lose the ability to press control F and actually search on your page, right? Um, all the data mm -hmm. below this fold is just gone, right? Um, which is this, is, this is not true on a mobile site. Um, it exists, it's fine, everything works. Um, Chrome has been pitching this concept called virtual scroller for the last bit, and it's trying to bring that same concept into the web. And if this gets shipped one day, I think um, it's a big this deal. Is another huge deal where uh, a lot of you know things people are doing is like, oh yeah, I need to, I want to build a native-like experience on on the web, but I can't because the DOM is slow or the web is slow or what something is slow, right? Um, and this would be a one huge step to making it that much easier. So really excited for that. I don't know if that's next year. It might be twenty twenty. I mean, none 21. of these things are going to be like necessarily uh -huh. next year. We're just yeah. talking about what we Let's, see work happening in the directions of I next hope. year in yeah. our dreams and our desires and our wishes. Um, I think performance has always been top of mind for browser vendors. So yeah. definitely seeing things like that. I, I think those things will get prioritized. And that's sort of where the inspiration really stems from for Houdini, where it allows for you to separate your styles and like any styling, like animations that you need to apply to your app off of your main thread so it makes yeah. that faster makes it faster for browsers to render your css yeah. give them semantics um so definitely performance is a continued yeah thread from this year into next year it's something that has been a goal really for a long time yeah um also i'm excited to see more cool dev tools come out like yeah. with subgrid now you know there's like a ton of like interesting things that i feel like firefox has been doing a really good job with the dev tools in 2019 yeah like in this firefox past is... year they've yeah. really like upped their ante and so i'm excited to see more of an evolution of that even like we're still kind of using the same dev tools that we used 10 years ago i mean a lot has changed but not yeah. that much has changed it's pretty firebug good, no. is still here you know yeah um, but yeah, there's just some really cool things that I've been seeing lately in 2019. And I hope to see that sort of grow and grow as CSS features grow and as JavaScript changes. Oh, the CSS feature that I'm looking forward to is flex gap. Uh, so you yes. know, last year they yes. ripped the grid prefix off of, um, gap. So it used to be, used to be grid column gap and grid row gap, but now it's just column gap and row gap. And this is because, according to the spec, it's supposed to t apply to Flexbox as well. Or just Gap as a shorthand for both. Or yeah, yeah, Gap for both. Um, and honestly, like, this would be such a big deal for me. I one one of the primary reasons why I love CSS Grid is that I have moved layout to my parent components and my you know my child components like a button or a table or accordion, whatever it has, does not think about spacing itself on the page. It just worries about its own self. Yeah. Um, and you can do this because CSS Grid says, here's the layout and here's the gap between each column, right? Or a row or whatever, what have you. Um, now, this isn't as useful on like a single row of items, you know, um, which is what Flexbox is for, the, you know, the one row items. And if I had gap in my Flexbox, it would just, it would it just, just solve. Yes, because that's something that's really like, needed. There's been yeah. so much hacking around that and yeah. it's something I'm really excited about. I, um, I did this stupid thing where I like, <laughs> was like, I used CSS grid and then I like made a very, like a, a, a CSS variable that like was updated by the amount of content in a, in a it was stupid. I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but <laughs> it, it, was, it worked well. Uh, anyways. 
Oh. Another thing that I've been seeing, like, kind of reinvigorated lately is ele- uh, container queries. And, oh, like, yeah. Element queries. Please. Uh, they're similar in name. Yeah. Um, I've just been seeing a resurgence of that. People are talking about them again lately. And it's not a new concept. Like, this concept no. has been out for eight years. But... We've been unable to actually implement them because of the cost to the browser. But because browser rendering engines are getting better, I don't know. I hope to one day actually see container queries coming back to life. Like that would be awesome. Um, If you're unfamiliar with this concept, it's basically media queries, but for individual containers. So if your sidebar is getting bigger or smaller, then you could rearrange the elements within that. And this is especially relevant with grid and things like auto placement and layout and fit and fractional units because they allow for these really nice responsive effects and you still can't target like individual layouts within components. I think subgrid helps with that because subgrid will allow for you to create these layouts inside of elements that you can then rearrange in in ways based on the parent. And so I hope that that works as well as I want it to work in my head because that's also a big thing that we've seen people talk about for a long time and I'm really hoping in 2020 we see a lot more practical direction moving towards... (laughs) <laughs> I, I saw someone do like hacks with it like you can you can kind of do it with resize observer which is i think chrome only api um where you can watch for the element size and do something like that but it's javascript it's not just pure css and so yeah that yeah. having container queries would be real nice real I'm real just, nice i'm just loving like this evolution of me having to write less javascript because yeah. css is getting better <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're definitely at time for our show. Yeah. We kind of went over. Yeah. But do you have any last things to mention for future stuff? I have one last thing. It's more of a... So, you know, last year, I didn't believe in TypeScript, uh, really. This year, I do. Um, and for this reason, right now, I don't believe in this thing called ReasonML. ReasonML is a typed language. It's OCaml. compiles the JavaScript. Um, it's made by the same guy who made React originally. And it's ostensibly there to give you like a really well-typed language um, as opposed to TypeScript. Which TypeScript, you have to do a lot of manual typing versus um, Reason, which is a more powerful inference engine, which tells, you know, if you use it in a certain way, it will know what type it is, more or less. Um, and so I don't, I, I'm having a hard time seeing the vast benefits of ReasonML this year, right now. But I had to say the same thing about TypeScript last year, and so I'm cautiously um, keeping an eye on ReasonML this year, this this coming year. Uh, a lot of smart people I see are like getting really getting really hyped up about it, and so I'm like, okay. We maybe just had s- a show all about TypeScript, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Like uh, maybe two episodes ago, where it's all yeah. about Chris convincing me that TypeScript is the future. Yes. Well, I, I think typed interface, typed UIs are the future. Uh, I think um, after building, uh, job, you know, these applications the last six months with using TypeScript, I s- it's pretty easy for me to see the benefits of having a typed um, type language. And this is for me who I haven't done anything anything but JavaScript, so I haven't done like type languages before this. And so I, I'm seeing the benefit now. And so I'm curious to see like if uh, you know JavaScript is not a type language by default, so TypeScript is kind of a layer on top of it. Reason is built in a type language from from the on- onset, and so I'm very curious to see um, its growth and 
how it fares in 2020. So yeah, I could definitely um, see um, more TypeScript also just in the future because it's still growing. People are still, still oh, hopping yeah. on that it's, bandwagon hard. Yeah, uh, definitely still growing. So yeah, both are great. It's like uh, I'm just one of those things. I'm 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 just just keeping an eye on. You know. Just, a finger to I'm the keeping that on a lot of things. <laughs> like, there's so many things I'm excited yeah. to see where they go in the next year. Um, mostly CSS things, but that's sort of <laughs> where my yeah, interests lie. Right our now. different angles. It's, it's fine. That's why our podcast works. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're definitely over time today, but thank you so much for listening. I want to shout out to our sponsors today, Datadog and Square. Get your free dashboard and free T-shirt at datadog.com/toolsday and for Square, check out their YouTube channel with developer education shows. That's youtube.com slash square dev. I also want to shout out to Webflow who supports us on Patreon. Um, the no code movement is another thing that I think is going to grow in 2020 where I'm just foreseeing like these applications that create code, they are getting better. I feel like I was very skeptical about them five years yes. ago, but there's been evolution, you know, in that realm. And I really do think that the future, like maybe not next year, maybe in five years, is going to be enabling people who don't necessarily like know, um, yeah. react to build websites, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I think that's another cool thing to watch out for. That's all we have for our show. This is actually the last show of 2019. Woo! Woo! We made it! We made, we made it through it. the whole year! We made it. <laughs> you made it! Thank you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you just following us in this journey. If you like our show, please leave a positive review on iTunes so other people can find our show. If you don't like it, you can complain on, at us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Yuna, and Chris is Chris Donaraj, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> It's spelled C-H-R-I-S-D-H- I'm just double checking. D H A N A R H A. I looked it up because I wanted to make sure that I could say it <laughs> properly and not like typo as I thought it in my head. Um, anyway, I know how to pronounce your name and That's say fair. your That's write fair. your name. I just double check. Anyway, whatever. Fine. This is me out for the year. <laughs> I'll see you next year at our next show. Thank you again for tuning in. Bye, y'all. <laughs>